Democrats hold their national convention, the media continues their U.S. Postal Service conspiracy, and Steve Bannon is arrested. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is The God Freedom Show. Alrighty guys, so I uh, hope everyone is having a great week. Happy Saturday. So I'm going to get to the uh, DNC convention that happened this week and the dumpster fire that was. And also the U.S. Uh, US Postal Service conspiracy the media continues to push. And also Steve Bannon. But first, I'm going to give you our COVID-19 update. So in terms of, as, as we've been seeing for the past couple weeks, of course, um, the numbers continue to go down. Um, here's the kind of the updated uh, graph for... Um, for example, the state of Georgia, which is, of course, and that's where I live. That's why I keep bringing, bringing it up. But, you know, Georgia was one of the ones that kind of had the first on a res, first resurgence. And we're starting this, of course, obviously, that's going down. Day by day, and the deaths are kind of starting to peak, too, here in Georgia as well. So that's also good news. And throughout the United States, too. I mean, there, it is starting to peak, like as on average, and the deaths death rate has dropped, dropped significantly, significantly. So that's all all good news in terms of kind of the numbers we're seeing and everything. And yeah, I mean that's pretty much about it. I mean, of course, I've seen throughout also the rest of the world. I mean, it started research all throughout the world in France, England. Uh, Germany and all, all over. Only place is really doing fine right now is of course Sweden, and that's because you know they did it right from the beginning. They didn't lock down, fully lock down or anything. It is kind of just they probably just they just decided to go with herd immunity, and they're doing good right now. So that's again, which is again a strategy which is done from the beginning, but you know whatever. It's done and over with, and thankfully we are starting to see this kind of dwindle down again. And what's good about kind of this time around is that this whole this whole talk about this is still apparently part of the first wave of COVID. But there's a talk the kind of theories going around is that since it hit so hard the first time around, the second wave might not even happen here in the United States. We probably could have we're pretty close to already reaching herd immunity, and that's also probably do with the whole T-cell immunity thing that's been there it's been going around it was released by Science Magazine and so yeah this again this is all all great news but of course the media uh, the reason why I keep wearing kind of COVID updates is because I want to give you the good news that the media is not given at all the media is not given any sort of positive news in terms of COVID but I, I absolutely just none so, for example, here is a piece from the Hill, from the Hill, about a the Miami-Dade Public School District in, in Florida, and basically, um, the piece says nearly 600 Miami-Dade Public School staff and diagnosed with COVID. And given the release date of this article, which is on April, August 20th, you would think, oh my goodness, 600 staff was affected. Like, during this time, well, that's not, uh, the headline is completely kind of misdirecting, if you will. 
basically this the 600 people who have been affected first of all the class has had, school has even hasn't started up <laughs> and that those dicks either so it has nothing to do with school starting up and people flooding out of schools or anything and plus you know they're gonna begin remote anyway so that doesn't doesn't make sense and plus as it says right here the first really the first sentence of the piece Almost 600 employees within the Miami-Dade County Public School System have tested positive for the coronavirus over a span of five months. Five months. That's literally the entire pandemic or epidemic here in the United States. So within the course of five months in this in this um, area, 600, 600 employees from the school district have tested positive. Now, when we put it in terms of the population of this county, that's a relatively kind of small amount. And plus, when it's spanned over a five-month five month, um, time frame, that makes a huge difference than if it was just within, like, a couple weeks. So, this is, this is purposely manipulating and misleading to kind of scare people from really want to go back to school because it's, again, the fight over reopening schools and everything continue, continues day by day. Like, you see every single day, the media released article after article about people testing positive for COVID-19 after returning to school when literally it was just the very first day they returned to school and they were testing positive. That's not how, that's not how it works. You don't, you don't just suddenly go back to school be around people and suddenly that same day you're tested positive and you got it from the school. That's, that's not that's not how it works right here. But this, this again, this is what the media does. They're trying to, again, they're trying to make this as bad as possible. And again, the math, the numbers don't support the panic. As we've seen, all for, on average throughout the country, it is starting to drill down. It started to dissipate. So, I mean, really, by the end of this month and to end of next month, this this could be almost over at this point. Which is the thing is, that's what the media doesn't want that to happen because they want, again, they're really, their goal is to make this look as bad as possible for Trump in order for, to hurt him in the election. That's really what all this is about. Because trust me, if Biden were to win, this would be done, it depended would soon be over. It would just disappear. Just disappear. It would be done. Which will tell you that this is all political from the beginning. And one of the more kind of... The just... The media gaslight from constantly... Coming from these people is just... It's astonishing. Really astonishing. It, especially in terms of... Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. Who... Presided over the worst state... To be hit by COVID. And New York was absolutely... Absolutely ransacked by COVID. Especially New York City. And he was responsible for, like, forcing nursing homes to take in COVID patients, which is why, which is why so many, this is why really the death rate is so high in New York because of that. And now the media's problem is this is the example that we should follow right here. And what's so crazy about this, and New York, especially New York City, New York overall has about almost zero deaths per day and maybe about 74 or lower cases a day like seriously it's hardly going around like 
probably New York has already reached for immunity, but nothing has opened up yet. Nothing. Which does not make sense. And it just tells you, it's all political. It's all virtual signaling, saying, see, I'm doing my part right here. I'm going to keep it locked down. And, and that's why that's why we crush the virus, which is not true. There's no evidence that the lockdowns even worked. All it did was delay the effect of the, of the spread. That's all, all it did. That's why you've seen some in the places that did lock up. That's why you're seeing kind of this massive like surge. Because so many people were locked in early enough where it didn't spread initially. But once they were brought back out, it spread out. But the places that didn't lock down, it went through the population. And then that was it. That, that's pretty much it. And one of the more kind of disgusting kind of like gaslighting comes from the governor himself, Andrew Cuomo. So, again, like he botched the COVID-19 response completely. Like, his state, like, he did a horrible job. He's probably the worst governor in the United States right now. But, given the, like, kind of the media problem he's been getting, he's literally releasing a book called American Crisis, Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic by Andrew Cuomo. Which is going to release on October thirteenth. Seriously, what kind of? Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? You're beside of the worst state in the entire in the entire country, and you're going to sit there and say like the, the people should follow our lead? No, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, no. It just uh, it is just so freaking stupid. Overall. But, you know, I mean, this, this entire, this entire, like, COVID pandemic, it's just, it's really maddening to see just how the masks completely come off in the media. They, they used to kind of made themselves as these objective journalists, if you will, but now that has completely come off and now their true agenda is being shown in real time. It's quite it's quite crazy to see. But again, that's uh, that's enough of the COVID stuff for right now. So let's jump into the dumpster fire that was the DNC convention. So I'll be honest, I didn't actually watch it. I just kind of watched the highlights of it because I mean, again, why would I exactly put myself through that? But let's just say from the things I from the stuff I did watch, it was very interesting to say the least. Let me just say this. Democrats have nothing. Absolutely nothing. The only thing they have going for them is that they're anti-Trump. That's pretty much all that they have. That, again, that, that may work. That may work. But again, remember back in 2012, Romney and Ryan did the same thing with Obama. They ran on the ticket that it was all about Obama and trying to, how terrible he was and everything. And they ended up losing. So I think really Democrats are making a huge mistake about trying to make this all about Trump. Again, it may work because Trump is, on average, a little more unlikable than Obama. But again, it's my content, my theory is it probably won't work, work for them. But besides that, they're they have nothing. They have no real policy ideas. Like just literally nothing. They're this entire convention was complete, again, dumpster fire from the beginning. 
So as an example, we're going to start with the former First Lady Michelle Obama. And here's what she had to say about um, Joe Biden and like how, like how his, about his character and everything. Here's a video right here. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. He will make smart plans and manage a good team. And he will govern as someone who's lived a life that the rest of us can recognize. Okay, so basically what she's saying is that if you let the Biden, the pandemic will be over. He will solve, he will literally solve the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. Which is interesting. If he had the answer, if he has the answers right now, why not just say it right, right here and now? If he has the answers, just put it out there. But of course, the he doesn't have the actual answers to solve because again, this is a this is a virus. Virus are like been around for many, 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 many years since the beginning of time. But they're completely, completely under under control, like uncontrollable, uncontrollable. That you can't really. It's very hard to contain it, especially if they mutate. So the best, especially for viruses like this, the best thing, like I said many times, is to really get to hurt immunity. Allow the, especially the younger health people, get infected with it, and that's how you reach hurt immunity. But the idea from like Michelle Obama here is that you know if Biden is elected, he will solve it, solve it like that. And of course, their way of solving it is mask mask mandate. In lockdown until a vaccine comes comes around, which, like, good luck, good luck with that. I dare y'all to try a full-on national lockdown because I'm sure that's going to go over well. It went over well, went well the last time around, even just for the individual state lockdowns. So again, good luck with that. But this wasn't like kind of the only thing that happened. You know, there were many speakers. Um, I mean, Barack Obama came on, many other people came on, on the, on the DNC, like, convention and everything. There was, there were a lot of those speakers. And, like, they even had Bill Clinton came on about saying, talking about the decency in the White, in the Oval Office and everything, which is funny coming from him, considering what he did in the Oval Office. And Barack Obama talking about, um, you know, caring about the Constitution and everything, which is quite laughable because he didn't—he didn't like the Constitution at all. He completely ignored it throughout his presidency. But one of the highlights has to come from Hillary Clinton herself. So yes, the show she's Hillary Clinton's back, and still worse than ever. So here's what she had to say about Joe Biden here. Here's the video right here. And don't forget, Joe and Kamala can win by 3 million votes and still lose. Take it from me. So we need numbers overwhelming so Trump can't sneak or steal his way to victory. Text vote 30330 to get started. 
A hundred years ago yesterday, the 19th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified. It took seven decades of suffragists marching, picketing, and going to jail to push us closer to a more perfect union. Fifty-five years ago, John Lewis marched and bled in work was unfinished. Tonight, I'm thinking of the girls and boys who see themselves in America's future because of Kamala Harris, a black woman, the daughter of Jamaican and Indian immigrants, and our nominee for vice president. This is our country's story, breaking down barriers and expanding the circle of possibility. And to the young people watching, don't give up on America. Despite our flaws and problems, we've come so far. We can still be a more just, equal country with opportunities previous generations could never have imagined. There's a lot of heartbreak in America now. And the truth is, many things were broken before the pandemic. But as the saying goes, the world breaks everyone. And afterward, many are strong at the broken places. That's Joe Biden. He knows how to keep going, unify, and lead because he's done that for his family and country. So come November, if we're strong together, we'll heal together. We'll redeem the soul and the promise of our country, led by President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. My goodness. I can't imagine why she, she lost the election. I, t I just can't imagine why. Just, just seriously, like she... Again, this is why she lost right here. Again, she is just like, mm, like just she's so mechanical and like non sincere and just unlikable overall. So, and she's still like her thing she said at the beginning like, you could still win by three million votes and still lose. Take it from me. And like, we need to, we need numbers overwhelming so Trump can't sneak or steal his way. To victory. So she's still continuing on the idea that Trump somehow still stole the election from her. That she's still should be the rightful president of the United States. Which, again, that's been proven wrong. The, the idea was that he used Russian help to win the election. Has been proven wrong. And, and that was done a long time ago. So, it, she just... Thank goodness that she's not president. Thank God she's not president. Because I can imagine what that would be like right now. Alright, so I'm going to continue on with the whole DNC stuff that was talked about and everything. But first, got to go over to YouTube with the God of Freedom blog to check out. So not only you get the rest of the DNC stuff, but also the stuff about the whole U.S. Post Office conspiracy theory the media is pushing. And also Steve Bannon being arrested. And also, um, at the, towards the end of the episode, where I go over the book of John, I'm um, starting John chapter 18 today. And also the good stuff and bad stuff of the week. And remember, you can find me on your favorite podcast listening sites, like I'm a podcast, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. This is The Ghana Freedom Show.
Alrighty, so let's continue on right here with the DNC stuff. So it just it continues on. Like here's one of the more kind of more hilarious parts of it is that AOC was one of the speakers for the DNC convention, and she literally nominated Bernie Sanders for president. Which last I checked, that he wasn't even in the campaign. Right, he wasn't even in the in the race right now. So this is kind of very interesting. So here's a video right here for that. Good evening, bienvenidos, and thank you to everyone here today endeavoring towards a better, more just future for our country and our world. In fidelity and gratitude to a mass people's movement working to establish 21st century social, economic, and human rights, including guaranteed health care, higher education, living wages, and labor rights for all people in the United States. A movement striving to recognize and repair the wounds of racial injustice, colonization, misogyny, and homophobia, and to propose and build reimagined systems of immigration and foreign policy that turn away from the violence and xenophobia of our past. A movement that realizes the unsustainable brutality of an economy that rewards explosive inequalities of wealth for the few at the expense of long-term stability for the many, and who organized a historic grassroots campaign to reclaim our democracy. In a time when millions of people in the United States are looking for deep, systemic solutions to our crises of mass evictions, unemployment, and lack of health care, in el espíritu del pueblo, and out of a love for all people, I hereby second the nomination of Senator Bernard Sanders of Vermont for President of the United States of America. Solid from AOC right there, the so fresh, so face member at the Congressional Democrats. Solid, solid stuff. So, yes, let's nominate the very person who's not even in the race right now. The, the communist that was running for the 2020 election. Way to go, AOC. So, that's just, again, this entire DNC, Democratic Convention was just a complete... Again, like, I, this is the only way I could describe it, a complete dumpster fire. fire. They have nothing. I mean, they could talk about many of their kind of key issues they want to talk about, like climate change, like the racial stuff and everything, and now, of course, gun control. And here's actually, here's what they put out about gun control right here. They brought out... Um, Emma Gonzalez and some of the Parkland survivors who were members of the um, the March for Our Lives campaign that started with the Parkland shooting back in 2018. And here's what that what that sounded like. Here's a video. They say that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS. They say a good guy with a gun stops the bad guy with a gun. We call BS! They say guns are just tools like knives. We call BS! They say that no laws could have been able to prevent the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. 
You know what's funny about everything like she was saying right there about how, you know, they say that a good guy with a gun can stop back over the gun and we call it BS. That's not BS. That's actually true. And everything that she was calling BS on is actually true. It's actually pretty true in terms of statistics and numbers and everything. So, so just because you say something that, say, calls something BS, it doesn't mean it's actually BS. It's, it's probably again. This this is true right here. All all the shit on BS on is true, and nothing nothing is worse than the Democrats using like kids who were like like survivors of a horrific horrific shooting like this. Like the Parkland shooting was horrific. I think about 13, 17, actually seventeen people died in the shooting, and so this. The whole movement of using kids as props to push your agenda like this is just so disgusting. And Democrats continue to do it day by day. And they say, if you don't agree with the policies, that means you don't care about children. It's the same thing they do with the COVID now. You say, if you don't agree with mask mandate or if you don't agree with lockdowns, that means you want to kill grandma. It's all disgusting, disgusting politics crap. That's all, that's all, all it is. But again, the, the, again, they they just have nothing. The Democrats have absolutely nothing, and it's just funny to see people trying to like build them up to be these awesome like moral moral leaders, or moral just like superior superiority or superiors or something. It's it's, it's pretty hilarious. But, but, um, as kind of a final thing about the DNC, here's kind of the, the most, one of the worst things I've seen coming from them. This, just prepare yourselves. It's, it's quite, it's very interesting. Here's the video right here. Good night. Twitter, Twitter uh, member or account that posted this, she said, "Everyone in the DNC was on shrooms tonight. Changed my mind. It, seriously, that was the weirdest 
thing ever seen come from the DSCs. And they they brought out a lot of weird stuff throughout the conventions. So this this probably hits the marks right here. But again, this they just don't have anything. And what's so crazy, again, like I said earlier, is that there's people who are trying to prop them up as these moral superiors. Like, for example, Bill Crystal, who was a quote-unquote conservative before Trump came out. Now Trump has completely drove him out of his mind. Now his, he's pretty much a Democrat at this point. So here's what he had to say about you know, the DNC and everything. For someone like me, the Democratic Party is problematic in all kinds of ways, as surely I am for them. But it's a political party, as we're seeing this week. That that's at least at this least trying to speak for decency, for character, for the country, about Trump's GOP. One can say no such thing. Seriously, so they're speaking for decency, for character, and for the country, because they love they just love America. Forget everything they've said about America for the past few months. They, they love the country. But here's what um, the Dale Wire. Um, CEO Jeremy Boring had to say about that. The party of decency and character. Abortion on demand, defunding the police, funding Iran, eating for expression for its size, assembly, except BLM, Second Amendment, due process, process electoral college, and burning cities. And that is pretty much exactly their entire police system. You're going to sit there and tell me that they're the party of decency and moral character? Seriously, guys? And plus, probably the biggest issue for me, at least, is the abortion stuff. Like, they, they, most Democrats at this point, Joe Biden included, wants, is supporting abortion on demand and wants to be, to be funded by taxpayers. Which, again, like, come on. The founders will be like, rolling their graves so fast that they'll pretty much be digging new tunnels at this point. That, that, that's, that's not right. You, I'm, I'm not certainly using our money that we work for to be used to kill children in the womb. That, that is so as wrong in so many ways. But here's kind of a piece by the Washington Examiner, kind of going over uh, Kamala Harris and her belief system about abortion and everything. And this, for everyone who's pro-life, honestly, you need, you need to take this into consideration. Like, even if you're a Democrat, even if you're, you are a Democrat, but if you're pro-life, you really need to consider, the, take this into to consideration right here. All, all the Democrats on the stage that night support abortion on demand, including Kamala Harris. Here's where she had a, here's basically her kind of beliefs in terms of abortion and, he, and why it matters. That's actually what the piece is called. Kamala Harris's abortion views and, and it should, should matter to everyone. It was shocked to nobody that Joe Biden would choose a running mate in the line with the party platform on abortion. But Senator Kamala Harris is, mere, is not merely pro-abortion, then again, neither is the party platform. The 2016 Democratic platform called for repealing the Hyde Amendment, which means making taxpayers fund elective abortions. 
the party has again embraced this position. It is worth noting that a majority of that a majority opposes taxpayer-funded abortions. When it comes to to third trimester abortions, which are championed by Harris and the Democratic Party, large majorities support making the procedure illegal. This includes Democrats who those who self-identify as pro-abortion. Such views have been analyzed by by Gallup and reported on by reported on by multiple outlets. This concern is echoed by Democrats for Life of America. In a statement, the organization mentioned in part that Kamala Harris's selection as our party's VP nominee does not provide pro-life Democrats with any assurances and, and will, in fact, further alienate 21 million Democratic voters. They have been left out of the party for quite some time. Her support for abortion without without almost any restrictions is far out of line with the majority of Democrats and Americans on this sensitive issue. Harris's actions prove her stance on abortion. As California's Attorney General, Harris was instrumental in the Reproductive Fact Act, which would, which have, which would have acquired anti-abortion pregnancy centers to decimate notices to clients that California has public programs that provide immediate, free, or low-cost access to comprehensive family planning centers, including all FDA-approved methods for contraception, contraception, prenatal care, and abortion for eligible women to determine whether you qualify whether you qualify con contact the county social ser services office at insert cell phone number over there. Violated Violators face fines. Forcing these centers to advertise abortion compels them to participate in pro-abortion speech. The law inevitably was challenged in the court in the 2018 case of NIFLA versus um, Bakura. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled by a 5-4 decision that the National Institute of Family and Life advocates will likely succeed on the claim that the fact act of violate the First Amendment. I remember this was a huge controversy at the time where hospitals were basically being forced by California to post area places where women can get abortion, which it completely, it completely again, like I said, it violates the First Amendment on all grounds. As a senator, the senator as a, as a senator on the Senate. Senate Judiciary Commi Committee Committee Harris has had many memorable moments questioning judicial nominees. The noble, the noble this notably applies to, to such nominees who happen to be anti-abortion and Catholic. Harris asked now Judge Brian uh, Butcher Booster or whatever whatever about his role in the Knights of Columbus and a charitable organization. Were you aware that the Knights of Columbus opposed women's right to choose when he joined the organization? She asked, have you ever in any way assisted with or contributed to um, to advocacy against women's reproductive rights? How dare Busker be part of a 
part of a fraternal organization that upholds the Catholic Church's teaching on abortion. If Raptor Harris, Bookshire, and anyone like him wouldn't be fit to serve on the bench. When he ran for president, Harris um, communicated a position that should be alarming to um, any supporter of federalism. Through her Department of Justice, certain states would have to obtain pre-clearance before enacting anti-abortion laws. With how Buffer, with how Buffer worries not to speak loudly, Harris will surely expect to be involved in abortion policy as vice president. This will likely include being consulted on judicial nominees. Harris would also be um, called upon to cast a tiebreaker vote in the Senate. Harris might become president herself if she and Biden are elected, making a mistake. Harris would do that if she could do, if she could, to force the promotion of abortion and muzzle those against it. This should be alarming to all, regardless of their views on the issue. This is completely right. Again, my, um, I am completely against abortion. All, all right, I think it should be banned all throughout the country, overall, on all and any and all circumstances. And like seriously, having a having a side of part like a party that supports it on demand and even wants to force taxpayers to pay for it, that's despite my anti critics of Trump, I'm, I'll, I'll continue all the everyday to support him over these people right here. Uh, that's just that's it's how it rolls right there. I cannot support a party. That's forced to kill the unborn. I, I just can't. It, it just. It is completely. It is completely maddening to see stuff like that. Not only that, there the views on of, like on the racial stuff is, again, that's gone so radical, on all levels. So here's what someone put. I, I don't know who this is exactly, but Ben Shapiro uh, posted it the other day. And here is what this person said about racial, like racial problems in America. To fix the original sin of racism, Americans should pass an anti-racism amendment to the U.S. Constitution, Constitution that enshrines two guiding anti-racist principles: racial inequity, 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 is evidence of a racist policy, and the different racial groups are equals. The amendment would, would make unconstitutional racial equity over a certain threat threshold, as well as racist ideas uh, by public schools, by, sorry, by public officials, with racist ideas and public official, and public official clearly defined. It would it would establish and permanently fund the Department of Anti-Racism, compromise uh, formally trained experts on racism, and no political appointees. The DOA would be responsible for pre-clearing all local, state, and federal public policies to ensure they won't yield racial equity, monitor those um, those policies, investigate private racist policies with, when racial equity surfaces, and monitor public officials for expressions of racist ideas. 
the DOA would be empowered with disciplinary tools to wield over against policymakers and public officials who do not voluntarily change their racist policy and ideas. As far as I know, that is completely unconstitutional. And like so a department, like DOA, a bureaucrat, like the DOA or whatever, that they want to start up, they have no power like that. They don't have any power to actually do stuff like that. So that's, that's insane right there. So again, the Democrats just, they have gone so, so insane and just so radical over the years. Again, they just have nothing. And or this really puts President Trump in a good place to win the election. And um, actually, there's a new poll that came out from, is it out of Wisconsin? I think from CNN or whatever, where he's basically tied by, which is really good because Wisconsin is a battleground state, a heavy battleground state. And the fact that he's tied with him, that is excellent news. And the gap overall in the polls have closed dramatically over this time. So really, President Trump has a chance to take this and run with it. As long as they've done the safe stuff like this. So here's what he had to say the other day about QAnon, which is a garbage conspiracy theory group online and all that. But here's what he had to say about that. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. But I don't know much about the movement. Uh, I have heard that it is gaining in popularity. And from what I hear, it's, these are people that when they watch the streets of Portland, when they watch what happened in New York City in just the last six or seven months, but this was starting even four years ago when I came here, almost four years, can you believe it? Uh, these are people that don't like seeing what's going on in places like Portland and places like Chicago and New York and other cities and states. And uh, I've heard these are people that love our country and they just don't like seeing it. So I don't know really anything about it other than they do supposedly like me and. Come on. Come on, dude. This is not, this is not necessary. And now people are, now this is where the media comes in and saying that, see, he's a boy's queuing on. No, I mean, he said that he doesn't know anything about them, which he should have stopped there. But he goes on to saying, oh, I mean, other than, you know, they like me and everything. I mean, this is part of the problem with Trump, that he had, like, his view is that, like, he supports people that like him. And if they don't like him, he doesn't support. Which is a very, I don't know, it's very kind of weird contention of doing politics, but whatever. Like he did the same thing with John Lewis, saying that no, I don't know much about him, but I know he didn't come to my funeral or, or to my inauguration or anything. So, come on. Like, this kind of stuff is not going to help him in the election. <laughs> Especially when he tweet, constantly tweets stupid stuff out on Twitter day by day. Again, like this is where he needs a, some kind of tweet checker. 
or someone like that to kind of keep him in control. Like if if he were to hold hold any kind of discipline right now, he will. I think we'll win by um, not on the hand side, but he will win by getting margin. But um, again, the election is a thousand years away, so anything anything can happen at this point. But it's going to be very interesting is to see what happens when the debates actually start. I can't wait for that. But also, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with the um, RNC this week, the RNC convention. It'd be very interesting to see how they do all that. Alrighty, so now let's move on to the U.S. Postal Service conspiracy. So, like I, I kind of mentioned this last week, but now this is this entire conspiracy by by Democrats in the media about but the U.S. Postal Service and that Trump is now is trying to like defund it to um, sway the election or something like that. Here's actually um, the Connecticut Attorney General. William Tong talking about it, talking about the, talk, talking about uh, the U.S. Press Service and how Trump is supposedly trying to um, sway the election with it. Here's a video right here. General Tong, I'm going to start with you because the Postal Service stopping the removal of letter collection boxes in uh, Western states until after the election. That's after the USPS has, has had already started reducing post office operation hours in several states, removing those boxes. What do you say to what's going on right now? I think the president, it's clear, is intentionally trying to defund the Postal Service and block us from voting and disenfranchise and suppress the vote for potentially millions of Americans across the country I think the president is clearly trying to sabotage this election and snatch victory away from a race he seems very clearly to be losing. It, but not even trying to hide it. Not even trying to hide it. And you talked about the, the blue mailboxes. We haven't talked about uh, the big mail sorting machines in right. big cities. Almost 600 of them, or more than 600 of them, that the Postal Service is decommissioning out of the blue. 10% of these big sorting machines so they can't process the mail. Why are they doing that in major cities across the country where there are large pockets of urban voters, voters of color, Democratic voters? We all know why. Before the Solid stuff from the supposed ejected journalist as seen at John Lennon. Now this is this is like again Q and on crap right here. This whole conspiracy that Trump is trying to defund the US Postal Service to to cheat in the election is completely nonsense. Again, a lot of again the mailbox blue mess up boxes they're talking about being removed. That's been happening for years. Like because a lot what happens is that they take it and then replace it with refurnished ones because over over time those boxes they're metal so they do get rusted and everything. And as far as the mail sorting machines, those machines were not being used. They were not being used. So. They're just sitting there wasting money. And most businesses, when machines are just wasting money out of that, not being used, they get rid of it. This is exactly what my, the place I work at. We just had these machines to like build, kind of build stuff. And um, we didn't, haven't used it. We, actually, the company that we built it for um, kind of moved out. And so we pretty much removed, removed all that equipment. 
So it just it's all conspiracy, like QAnon type stuff. It's not relegated to CNN. It is. It continues, like all, all throughout the stuff. So here's a tweet from a guy named Rex Chapman, Chapman, who was I think a basketball player at some point. And he, um, this is in Burbank, California. Here's what we had to say about this: is a picture of some the kind of blue mailboxes, the blue kind of drop-in mailboxes or whatever, and they have kind of locks in them. And here's what he said about that. In your entire life, have you ever seen a locked mailbox at the US, USPS? Now have, now you have. A disgrace immediate threat to American democracy. Shame on them. Shame on the GOP. Where are you, Senator the Majority Leader? Joke, the joke is, is that this has happened for years. And the reason for these um, the locks on them is due to theft. There was a lot of kind of mail theft um, around the area. So, especially during the weekends, where the post office is not even operating, they put these uh, red locks in them. And it's not even, you still drop mail on them, but you can like fully open it up and then get mail out of there. Which makes sense. It makes complete sense for that to happen. But of course, this is happening now, is is all part of conspiracy conspiracy theory, theory, conspiracy by the GOP to sway the election. Is, is, it's quite something. It's quite really something to see right here. So naturally, you know, the media has been going after President Trump for this and also the Postmaster General for this. So here's what he, the Postmaster General had to um, say about questions about everything. And here... Here's what he had to say about it. Uh, we're being told that you're limiting overtime, uh, and this uh, could possibly add to backlogs. Are you are you limiting overtime, or is that being suspended right now, and people will work overtime if necessary to move the mail out efficiently every single day? Senator, I, we never eliminated overtime. That's uh, it's been not, curtailed significantly, is what I understand. It's not been curtailed by me or the leadership team here. Retail significantly. It's gone down. It's been limited. Will you commit to sending seven? Since I've been here, we've spent seven hundred million dollars on overtime. Overtime we runs at a thirteen percent rate before I got here, and it runs at a thirteen percent rate now. I did not. You have a policy you can submit that to me. I'd appreciate it. Will you commit? That there will be no post office closures or suspensions before November third. I confirm post office closures was not a directive I gave. That that's that w I gave. That was around before I got here. There's a process to that. Uh, when I found out about it, uh, and it, it had the uh, reaction uh, that that we did, uh, I, I've, I've I've suspended that till after the election. Well, uh, well, we've heard about the sorters. You addressed that earlier. Will you be bringing back any mail sorting machines that have been removed uh, since you've become postmaster general? Will any of those come back? There's no intention to do that. They're not needed, sir. So you will not bring back any processors? They're not needed, sir. Okay. The, um, I've got a, questions about independence and transparency. Uh, prior to implementing uh, the changes that you put forth in the postal system, did you discuss those changes or are there a potential impact on the November election with the president or anyone at the White House? And remind you, you're under oath. I have never spoken to the president about the Postal Service other than to congratulate me when I accepted the position.
Alrighty, so yeah, good on him for actually like bringing in facts to this, to this whoever this is, kind of trying to almost trap him into saying something like almost lie because he was under oath about it. So you know, good on him bringing in facts, saying you know these mail sorting machines are not being used. That's why they're removed and everything. So yeah, this entire conspiracy theory about the QAnon or about the mail mail stuff is it's completely it's unnecessary and it's very stupid, very very stupid. But it's all part of a game to really. In order, as an excuse for Democrats to use, if Trump were to win the election, is is to be it just be an excuse to say that see, the reason why he won, is because he cheated with the um, mail votes. And again, what's funny about that is that people were actually protesting, the whole the U.S. Post Service you know, paused the changes and everything. So you're okay enough you're. You feel comfortable enough to actually go down and protest with hundreds of people, but you're now okay enough to simply go to a voting booth in person, even with a mask. Like, I'll gladly wear a mask to a voting booth, and if it means voting in person. But there's so many problems with mail-in voting, we cannot, we cannot have that as universal throughout the country. We just cannot. There's so many problems that will come with it. Alrighty, so now on to... Steve Bannon. So Steve Bannon was arrested this week, and the reason why he was arrested because it's over fraud charges against him, and some, also some a couple of other people were charged with it over because he had a fundraiser for the whole the Trump's um, border wall that Trump was planning to build, and there was some fraud um, allegations that came out of it, and he was arrested arrested for it and charged. Um, for it as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's great stuff, which proves, you know, the whole Trump's idea is that saying that I hired the best people and only the best people wasn't wasn't quite true. But again, this has nothing to do with President Trump at all. There's no allegations that President Trump actually knew anything about this. So, well, he's not involved in this whatsoever. But as a matter to the media, they want to try to spin his as saying that like here's a here's a piece from the Washington Post titled, literally titled if it will load. Bannon's indictment confirms that the American right is made of con artists. Uh huh. Yes. So one guy proves that the entire right is made of a con artist. Okay. Sure. If you thought Stephen K. Bannon was going to end up in handcuffs, you might have predicted that it wouldn't be for a small time con. After all, Bannon went from running on a far-right online publication to the heights of U.S. conservatism as the first CEO of Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump's campaign, and then as chief strategist, strategist in the White House, he even had ambitions to take his political project global. But it turns out the scheme that Bannon has been just been criminally charged with is indeed a species of a penny anti-grift, yet it's sort of a grift the American right has been running on its own voters for decades, which makes this absolutely fitting. And it goes on and on about how, you know, just 
make rice fully people and everything like and everything. It's, it's complete nonsense but just again just highlights the unmasking in the media and how they completely are now just just partisan hacks in on news outlets That's all fun stuff. Alrighty. So now let's get on to scripture real quick. I don't have as much time left. My battery's about gone here. I have a little bit of time. But we're going to be starting John chapter uh, 18 today. So this is where Jesus is arrested and betrayed by Judas. And remember, you can follow me along if you want, and I'll be the New Living Translation. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered the grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had, had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and the Pharisees have given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him with him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and, and, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus realized all that, that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he said. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he. Jesus said, Judas who betrayed him was standing with him. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he. Jesus said, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fill his own statement. I did not, I did not lose a single one of those who have, you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew, drew his sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's, high priest's, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword um, back into your sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Jesus, Jesus at their high priest's house. So the soldiers and their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Um, uh, Caiaphas was the one who told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Alright, so that's I'm going to kind of stop there for this time being. Just kind of... First, I'll just say we kind of bad every time. And so I'll continue on with the next week. But yeah, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of what really Jesus came down to earth for right here in the book of John. So he's been, he's been arrested and it's going to soon... Or he's going to be crucified and everything and be resurrected from the grave. So it's going to be cool to go through. So, alrighty. So now let's get on to the good stuff and bad stuff of the week. So some good stuff of the week. Um, so President Trump did this kind of cool thing on the 18th. August 18th, 18th this year? Or, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, of course this year. So basically it's the, on the anniversary of the, um, the women's right to vote. In the um, 20, 19th Amendment. And what he did is that he basically pardoned Susan B. Anthony, who was one of the chief women suffrage, suffrage leaders. 
during that time. And here's what we had to say about that. Here's a video right here. Incredible document that I'm signing. And I wanted to just add something because this was brought up a week ago. And I was so surprised that it was never done before. Because later today, I will be signing a full and complete pardon for Susan B. Anthony. She was never pardoned. Did you know that? She was never pardoned. What took so long? And you know that she got a pardon for a lot of other women, and she didn't put her name on the list. So she was never pardoned. And we're uh, for voting. That's right. That's right. She was guilty for voting. And uh, we are going to be signing a full and complete pardon. And I think that's really fantastic. So that's, that's great stuff. That's great stuff. I mean, you can kind of make fun of saying, okay, she's dead or whatever, but it's still pretty cool that, you know, he's doing this right here. I mean, in fact, you know, Sylvia Anthony did a lot of great stuff with the women's suffrage movement. You know, she, you know, starved us, pretty much starved herself to gain, push this movement to the front lines and everything. So she did a lot of, a lot of great stuff. So it was really great on President Trump to kind of formally like partner her and everything. But one of the most hilarious parts about this is that after it, the left literally canceled Sissy Anthony. Literally canceled her. Here's what is from Now This News. And here's what was said about Sissy Anthony by then. Susan B. Anthony doesn't deserve your I voted stickers. Hi, my name is Luria. Every election year, women cast their ballots and trek to Mount Hope Cemetery in Rochester, New York. They proudly place their I voted stickers on the headstone of women's suffrage heroine, Susan B. Anthony. They have perpetuated idealized versions of Anthony and her white colleagues, such as Carrie Chapman Catt and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Evidence of their ruthless racial bias has been pushed to the shadows, enabling the erasure of their women of color counterparts who also fought tirelessly for the right to vote. Susan B. Anthony only appeared to care about black people when the status quo was in her favor. In 1864, women's loyal National League president Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Anthony, the League's secretary, both signed a congressional petition in support of the 13th Constitutional Amendment to abolish slavery. Their petition garnered nearly 400,000 signatures. However, when the 15th Amendment was ratified, giving African-American men the right to vote, Anthony, Stanton, and her colleagues were enraged. Lori Ginsburg, a history and women's studies professor at Penn State University, spoke with NPR in 2011 about her book, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, An American Life. There, she shared quotes in which Stanton stated that educated, virtuous white women were more worthy of the vote and her fear for future women if these degraded black men were allowed to vote. Years prior, when speaking with Frederick Douglass at an 1886 meeting of the American Equal Rights Association, Susan B. Anthony famously asserted, I will cut off this right arm of mine before I will ever work or demand the ballot for the Negro and not the woman. Of course, in the 19th century, when only white men were able to cast a ballot, there were disagreements among campaigners about which disenfranchised group deserved the vote first. Whether Anthony was referring specifically to the white woman or all women, regardless of race, is irrelevant when you consider her abandonment of her abolitionist roots when black men were being heinously lynched across the nation for attempting to exercise their newly constitutionalized right to vote. Some people might argue that women such as Susan B. Anthony were just products of the times in which they lived. 
that she didn't live in an era that welcomed progressive ideals and outspoken opposition. But that's bullshit. Compassion wasn't invented in the 21st century. When African Americans were facing injustice at an inopportune time for her, Susan B. Anthony did nothing. Sometimes silence is more damaging than words. At the onset of the 20th century, Anthony was aligning herself with the likes of Belle Kearney, a Mississippi-born women's suffrage advocate and an outright white supremacist. In the words of Carrie Chapman Catt, the founder of the League of Women Voters, white supremacy will be strengthened, not weakened, by women's suffrage. I believe that true equity in women's rights will never be achieved unless it is intersectional, validating and fighting for the plights of all individuals who identify as women. Next election day, when you're looking for a home for your I Voted stickers, I suggest you make your way to Oak Hill Cemetery Crematory in Battle Creek, Michigan, where Sojourner Truth lies. A fearsome champion for women's rights, whose 1851 speech, Ain't I a Woman, is still heralded by educators and historians to this day. Or Oak Wood Cemetery in Chicago, Illinois, where you'll find the headstone of Ida B. Wells, the activist and journalist who led an anti-lynching campaign following the ratification of the 15th Amendment and refused to be hidden by white suffragists who instructed black supporters to march in the rear of the 1913 parade in Washington, D.C. Or place your sticker within the Fannie Lou Hamer Memorial Garden in Ruleville, Mississippi and pay homage to the incomparably brave civil rights activists. She overcame police brutality. She was fired from a job for trying to register to vote and President Lyndon B. Johnson himself tried to draw attention away from her speeches. She was still without a doubt one of the most powerful speakers of the era. The pursuit of justice does not have to be an exclusionary journey and although Susan B. Anthony couldn't see that, doesn't mean you have to settle for her narrow view of victory. I'm not saying Susan B. Anthony was the most racist fraud who ever lived. There were many more racist white women suffragists than I've named here. There were also white women suffragists who didn't resort to racism to sustain their agenda. Jesse Daniel Ames was a suffragist from Texas who founded the Association for Southern Women for the Prevention of Lynching. It was fully integrated and peaked at 40,000 members. What I want is for the names of the women of color who withstood violence and disenfranchisement while fighting for the right to vote, often without the help of their white counterparts, to be given their due. Do the research, learn their names, and think about who really deserves your gratitude when the next election comes around. Great stuff right there. Great stuff right there coming from now this. And really the only reason why they put this out is because President Trump pardoned them. I doubt that if he, if she, he didn't pardon Sue the B. Anthony, that they would have put this out there. I, I just have my doubts about that. So hilarious. Like, seriously, like Trump should come out in favor of mask and mandatory lockdown and to see what Democrats, to see Democrats and media say, no, we had to open up Masks don't work and everything. He should literally come out and do that and see and play that reverse psychology. Alright, so let's get on to the best of the week. Alright, so it's the best of the week. So this is kind of a really sad thing that happened with the Trump family. So President Trump's brother, Robert Trump, sadly passed away um, last week. Um, I think he had some heart issues and he was put in the hospital and just did He sadly didn't make it. So, and um, they actually held his funeral today and everything, so yeah, prayers definitely go out to President Trump's family and all, and all that. But, as usual, even with stuff like this, the left and the media just, they just don't really have any decency at all. They just don't have any. So here's a 
two obituaries for two people. One is for Robert Trump, and one is for the, um, um, who is it again? Sorry. Abu Abad al-Baghdadi, who was the Islamic State, um, um, ISIS leader. So here's what the obituary for Robert Trump had to say. Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, who filed a lawsuit against Nice, dies at 71. So that's basically saying that's who was known for filing a lawsuit against his niece. And here's what they had to say about Abu Bakr al Baghdadi. Abu Bakr al Baghdadi, obscure religious scholar at the helm of the Islamic State, dies at 48. Austere religious scholar. Seriously, that, that was a headline from the Washington Post back back when um, he was killed by U.S. soldiers. That's wonderful stuff. Well, the, probably the most disgusting stuff um, to come out of this is from a guy named... What? My Peter is slow for some reason. Come on. A guy named Andrew Feinberg. And here's... Uh, so... President Trump put out this, um, put out this tweet saying, Robert, I love you. Rest in peace. And it's obviously on the day of the funeral. And Andrew Feinberg literally said, not sure Twitter works in the hereafter. Are you kidding me? He's literally, you know, saying, you know, rest in peace and saying, you know, I love you too. His brother, even, even on, you know, on Twitter, many people have done that for years. He did that himself with, um, John McCain. He said, rest in peace, John McCain. And he has the audacity to say, I'm "Not sure how Twitter works like that." Um, in the here, works in the here after in the other life. What that 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 is so gross on so many levels. Really, that's really disgusting stuff. That just tells you just how how politics has really damaged the just our culture right here. It's, it's really it's really gotten bad. Alrighty, so I'll be back here next week with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is the Guy in a Frame Show. If you enjoyed this episode of the Guy in a Frame Show, hit that like button and follow the page to get more content. You can also find me on your favorite podcast listening sites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening or watching.